Hey guys, it's Brett Deering, your host of the Exit Podcast. I hope you'll listen to this next podcast, a special edition called the CEO Founder Perspective. We have Gracie Murphy, the founder of Advanced Care Partners, one of the largest and fastest growing healthcare companies in the country. Talk about her journey as a CEO founder starting this business and over the next 10 years growing it by 13,000% and selling it back in 2018 to a private equity company. She's going to share her story, talk about some of the things she's learned uh, in this journey, as well as what her next chapter is in life. So hope you guys enjoy this. Welcome to The Exit, the most prolific podcast for business owners preparing to transition a business. Today, on average, business owners leave 15 to 25% of their business value on the negotiating table when exiting a business. On The Exit, you will hear from some of the top transition and M&A advisors on how they help business owners like you through one of the most difficult life choices, the sale of your business. From transition preparedness to tax planning or driving value through operational enhancements, The Exit is the podcast that provides real-life insights and access to a network of experienced advisors. Brett Deering, your host, is one of the premier names in preparedness and exit planning for business owners. On The Exit, Brett will help guide you through key topics around preparedness planning while curating timely discussions focused on helping you maximize the value of your business. And when your time comes, help you realize your exit goals. So welcome to this episode of The Exit with your host, Brett Deering. Well, welcome everyone to this episode of The Exit. I'm your host, Brett Deering, and we are excited about this special episode called CEO Founder Perspective. Today, we have a special guest with us, Gracie Murphy. She's the founder of Advanced Care Partners. And just a little bit of background on Gracie. Gracie was born and raised in Brazil, uh, left at age 23, and we're going to talk a little bit about that, founded one of the fastest growing healthcare companies in the United States. She started ACP in 2010 and recently exited the business uh, and was CEO up until June of this year, uh, exiting to Council Capital, which is a private equity company. We'll talk a little bit about that as well. Uh, But just also a recipient of Ernst & Young's Entrepreneur of the Year and Inc. 5000 Hall of Famer. Did I get all that right, Gracie? You did. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, welcome. We we, are, we appreciate the opportunity to speak with you today, and we're very, very excited about our conversation on the exit with you. Um, if you don't mind telling our guests, you know, you have a, such a great story. Um, you know, you left Brazil, your native country at 23 with three luggage bags and your mother, I mean, your grandmother's rosary. And you went from that to starting one of the fastest growing healthcare companies in the United States. That's such an amazing story. Uh, maybe you can tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and how you started that process and how you got into healthcare. Absolutely. So thank you so much for the opportunity, Brett. It's being a pleasure not just to get to know you a little bit, but your mission and what you're doing to entrepreneurs like me that has gone through a lot in life. And with your, with your help, we definitely can thrive at a much higher speed. So my name is yeah. Gracie. I came from Brazil. Um, my mom actually signed me up for a beauty contest without me knowing about it when I was 15 years old. And uh, I ended up actually winning the national uh, prize for that beauty contest, 
But also, I come from a very small town in Brazil where everybody mm -hmm. but my mom, everybody's dentist. My whole family are dentists, but my mom is the only entrepreneur. So she really always uh, empowered me to think big, to think that the sky is the limit and really that challenges will come in your life and you should treat them as an opportunity to grow. So with that mindset that she gave me, she put me in this contest and I had to, to basically move almost overnight from my 18,000 uh, people city into the capital of the south of Brazil so I can go into the pageant duties and uh, really become like a, a model or, or the opportunities will happen. So from there, I you know, went straight to college, went to my MBA and had an opportunity to come to United States as a currency trader as I was finishing my MBA in finances. And I didn't even think twice. I was like, oh my goodness, this is the city, this is the country of Disney World and Mickey Mouse, I definitely should go. So I went home, told my mom and dad that I had the opportunity and, and my dad looked at me and said, why do you want more? Why do you want to leave us? And uh, my mom said, oh, cool. If you ever fail, we're going to be here to catch you. So completely different parent styles. <laughs> but yeah. it, it was that balance that gave me, uh, you know, the power and the, the, the encourage to do what I did. So I, I can tell you one thing. My, I, can, I can tell you one thing. My parents did not enroll me secretly in any beauty contest. <laughs> 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 uh, so, so, I mean, it's interesting. You have such a diverse background from, you know, going to beauty pageants to, you know, and then going and getting your MBA and moving to United States as a currency trader. You know, that, that in itself is, is a really, you know, diverse kind of background. And then you go from that, you come to the United States as a currency, thinking about currency trading to now going into healthcare. So how did you stumble into healthcare and, and how did that become a mission for you? You know, it was always a call and I had that in me. And uh, it's funny that when I talk to people that are missionaries or even philanthropic people, they always knew that they had that in them. It's just the opportunity basically to be called. But I came here, had to learn English uh, because I didn't speak any other language, but transitioned myself out of finance into home health care, actually, because I didn't want to say I didn't want to be a stay-at-home mom. I was pregnant, right. had just taken a, a company through bankruptcy, helping the CFO, and my husband had had just done this amazing job with a company just like ACP in Texas, and came home one day and said, "This is going to be perfect for you. You have also a medical background, and you love numbers. So why don't we combine both of them?" And, and really serve this, this, this population of uh, medically fragile children. And I had the opportunity to go to Texas and uh, visit with the CEO and learn the business model, came to Atlanta, hired a consultant to teach me the business and the rest is history. <laughs> oh, that's great. Well, you know, it's interesting, ACP um, and, and you know, just doing a little background and understanding a little bit about the company, you know, from 2011 to 2020, the company experienced over 13,000% growth. I mean, that to me is, is amazing. Uh, but some of the other things that speak to kind of you as a CEO is that the company has a 79% retention rate for its clients or customers, and 95% of the customers would rate their customer service experience as positive. So 
you know, a positive experience with retention and 13,000% growth, you know, over a 10-year period, I mean, that's pretty phenomenal. And, and so tell me a little about kind of how you were able to grow the company. You know, what were some of the things that you were thinking about when you started to become the CEO of the company? Tell me a little bit what that looked like. Culture, 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 people, people, people. Uh, you, you definitely have to be a servant leader and put them first. And uh, that is what people really buy into and they're loyal to is who you are and what you want, uh, you know, just for better for them as well as for the company. You know, growing this company was definitely challenging. Um, as you know, growth pain is real, especially for entrepreneurs that don't surround themselves with people that have done bigger and better things. Uh, so that's something that I learned that it, as you grow a company, you definitely have to surround yourself with good leadership so they can help you to go through the phases of growth, because it's not just one straight line. It has its right. ups and downs. But growing a company from zero to 1,200 employees in 10 years is, is the, 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 the core values in your principles have to really stick to the people. And the only way to do that is push down from the top. If you're, sure. if you're not leaving what you believe or you want people to relate to, you're never going to get a good culture. So I invested a lot in, into getting to know them and really what is important to them so I could add the values to their lives. And so ACP was a company that was really focused on um, uh, children at first, I guess, that had you know, a little bit more special needs and, you know, and, and special requirements. And then it seems as if the company started to expand into elder care as well uh, in certain states. Does that, does that sound right? So each state has uh, its it programs with Medicaid that each state is responsible to take care of any individual that meets a certain level of medical need. Regardless if the parents have income level that sustain Medicaid caps, uh, Medicaid has to come in and contract with providers like me to provide care in the home to these kids. So these kids are medically fragile. Without us, they would be living in a hospital. So as we continue to grow the business, we saw that our kids are now aging out of the kids program, which happens at 21 years old. And these parents were left with no help. So I felt ob obligated that we had to expand our services into the adult services as well because each state has its own Medicaid waivers or programs to serve them too. So now we are able to get to not just to serve the kids from zero all the way until lifetime through the Medicaid programs that each of the states uh, offer, but also we are also able to contract with public school systems and take these kids with us, with our nurses to school. Man, I mean that that sounds like such an important need for uh, a lot of a lot of families, um, you know, and especially if they have children that have Absolutely. special needs or special requirements. Yeah, and so when you when you started the company, how many states were you in when you started, and then when you you know towards the end of when you sold the company, what did that look like? What was the contrast between the company when you started versus kind of what it looked like when you when you sold? 
When I started, we were basically Metro Atlanta, uh, which was about, about 20 counties. And then we expanded to the entire state, which is a hundred and something counties. Then we went to Florida. And when I exited, we were in Texas as well. So you went from literally, um, you know, two dozen counties to three states in the course of 10 years. Right, right. And what was the revenue when you started? I mean, you know, where did you end up revenue wise for the company? About 30, 35 million. Oh, that's great. And so, you know, you're, you're growing this business. Um, you know, it's, you know, 13,000% growth in, in less than, a, you know, in about 10 years. And, you know, everything is going well. Um, I guess my question is, at what point in time did you start thinking about maybe this would be a good time to exit? Well, first, Esther, actually, is a funny story. I did an interview for a reporter for a merger market, and uh, she published that article as ACP is now considering outside investment. And we got bombarded uh, with, um, with companies trying, private equities trying to buy us. And my mom taught me that, you know, the best, your best teacher is your last mistake. So might as well just learn from. And uh, I started taking the calls. And uh, by taking the calls from VCs and private equity, I very, very rapidly learned that there are very different types of investors that want to invest in you. You have the investors that really want to give you the capital, and that's it. The other investors want to give you the capital and be your partners. And, um, right. and I was reaching a point where I had to manage growth in a much different level because when you hit the, the, the plateau where you have to change your systems, you have to document your processes, you have really to get organized in order to scale and scale in the right way. I need a help. I could buy help, meaning I could employ people to help me, or I could take some chips off table and, and welcome a partner that can walk this journey, the next level journey with me. And that is when I started to consider. Well, that's great. So, I mean, you, you, there's a lot of really good nuggets in there because, you know, I think for a lot of business owners, CEO founders, I think a lot of times that question is, when do I think about selling? When do I think about partnering with, you know, potentially a strategic and or a private equity group? Um, and what you're saying was the company was doing very well. And you were at that point where the company from a growth perspective peaked and there would have had to be, there would have had to have been some type of reinvestment, some type of large reinvestment in the operations yeah. process and systems for the company to continue to grow at the level that it was growing. And so that was the opportunity for you to recapitalize with a private equity partner and take some money off the table for yourself, but also get the right type of partner involved in, into the business that would allow you and, and, and enable you, I should say, to, to grow the business past where it was. Does that make sense? It does. Oh, that's great. Well, this is a great place for us to take a break. We'll come back to you uh, right after this quick message. When is the last time you had a formal preparedness assessment conducted on your business? And why is it important? From not knowing where to start in the process to receiving bad advice, 
Selling a business is one of the most difficult processes you will go through. It is also one of the most important decisions you will make. So why leave your success to chance? Our preparedness assessment will prepare you and your business for transaction by helping you navigate the pitfalls of the sales process. Find and fix issues that could cause a loss of value at sale or totally disrupt your ability to sell. So start today by clicking on the link in the summary of this podcast to take a quick business checkup and receive your free copy of the six questions to ask yourself before selling. Now, back to the podcast. Well, welcome back, everybody, to this episode of The Exit. Uh, We have with us the CEO and founder of Advanced Care Partners, Gracie Murphy. And now we're going to start talking a little bit about when Gracie started to think about selling what were some of the actions that she took at that moment? So, Gracie, before in the first half, we were talking about um, the fact that you the business had grown to a point where you needed to invest. It was a great opportunity for you to take some of the chips off the table and think about a partner. And that partner was Council Capital, which is a private equity company that invests in companies like yours, correct? That's right. So tell us a little bit about that. Um, you know, once you started getting these phone calls from private equity companies who were interested in investing in your company. Was there anybody that you reached out to uh, to help you with this process? What did, Tell us a little bit about what that looked like for you. Well, Brad, I did not call anybody, but I definitely put a, uh, a list together of the criteria that I started to think about what I wanted from a partner. And it was basically you get to check all the boxes. And one of the things that I notice is if the private equity starts the conversation with me based on the financials of the business, asking about my profitability and and revenue, that's normally a private equity that's only uh, uh, worried about the bottom line versus creating a bigger and better culture in, in company with me. So, and and also because of the needs that I had, I had so much needs of scaling the business in the right way, understanding how the the, the private equity operates and what extra value they bring to the table versus just capital was very important. So this private equity that I partnered with, we... um, we had uh, many uh, uh, meetings, and uh, in one of the meetings that we had, they introduced me to their concept of the CEO council model, where part of their fund comes from CEO in the healthcare industry, and these leaders can sit on your board. So they can give you the introductions that you would not have otherwise because you know you couldn't access, for example, the, the, the director of Medicaid. So they come with sure. that available um, uh, resource that you will not have otherwise. So it's interesting, you know, so how, roughly at the beginning of this process, when you were thinking about partners, roughly how many private equity groups did you speak with? Seven. Okay. So you, you took it upon yourself, which is, you know, very interesting too for our listeners, because a lot of times when we speak, we talk about having this, this transition team. Um, to be able to help you kind of through that process. But you had the opportunity to sit down and speak with seven private equity groups. Um, and council capital seemed to be the one that resonated with you because of, you know, A, they they had this advisory board structure and they were able to be additive to the opportunity for you to grow your business, not only from a process and operations perspective, but from a network and from a 
uh, revenues uh, perspective. So, you know, tell me a little bit about that. Like, tell our listeners, like, so how did that, how did you finalize that? What did it look like? I guess the question is, when did you decide that, okay, this group seems to be the group that I'm going to move forward with? So I first requested that I would meet the owners or the founders of the private equity because I wanted to know who my next family would be, not just the managers, mm -hmm. but I want to know the owners and their true values and, and really speak also to other CEOs that have done business with them. They had been a platform CEO. So I could see what the relationship was with them in the bad times, because when it's a good right. time, everybody's winning is a happy day, but not just right. that. So I asked for a lot of introductions before we even talked about an LOI or signing even the proposal. So I had the chance to do that. And uh, it's just, you know, I, I, I read people a lot and I can feel like when we connect, when they're being truthful and honest with me, I'm very direct and I don't want, I don't want people to sugarcoat uh, when there is a problem. I want them to be very transparent so we can have a transparent partnership. And uh, Grant right. Jackson, who has been my contact at the private equity, he is also from some, he is also not American and he kind of understand in a different level how culture differences are. And my, my, my feeling of having a family center culture at ACP and how important that was for me. And, um, and because of that value um, uh, combination is because it is one of the reasons why we partnered. Sure. So it, it sounds like culturally it was a good fit. And, you know, you started talking about the LOI, um, which we'll get into and in, in kind of the process. And so, okay, this is a great company. It seems culturally like a fit, like this is a good group to, you know, grow a family with, which is how you looked at it, which I think a lot of people, a lot of our listeners should understand that it, this is a marriage and this is your family. Um, and they will be your family for, you know, five to seven years, depending on the type of relationship that you have and the type of partnership. And it sounds like you chose a great one. Tell us a little bit about the process. So you made the decision. Yes, these are, these are good individuals. This is a good firm that I want to partner with. Walk us through the LOI process. So what happened after you said, yes, this makes sense. Did the LOI come before that decision or after that decision? So I flew then to Nashville uh, and in the same uh, trip that I met with the owners of the company, they also gave me the offer. And uh, re remember, I had no idea what I was doing. I had no <laughs> guidance from any expert. And, uh, and to be quite honest, I used Google a lot. And uh, <laughs> the, the diligence, me plus seven attorneys on the phone call, and they were talking about terms that I never heard before. I was Googling as we're going through this, this due diligence calls that were painful. But right. uh, so the due diligence, um, the, the, the LOI, I renegotiated four times. And uh, so wait, so, so let, me, let me pause you there because I think that's a great point. <laughs> so you had this LOI. And you renegotiated the terms of that LOI four separate times or four different right. times uh, with your with your private equity partner. 
Right. And because as I start the, 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 to discover the true value that I could have, for an example, we had just had uh, one of our major payers just increased our uh, reimbursement rates, which means if you're going to do a, a last a TTM, right, your EBITDA times, you would have to put that as a run rate versus a TTM because it's a new rate and now it's to the future and I didn't know. So you would have to do sure. a normalization of that. But so many things that I have been learned that I learned throughout the process. And I remember last time I asked for the renegotiation, Grant said, all right, we're going to give you every single thing you're asking if you promise this is going to be the last time you're negotiating. <laughs> So whatever it takes to make you leave, <laughs> we're going to do it as long as, you know, as long as you leave when you say you're going to leave, that's great. So, well, you know, and that's good. I mean, I think for our listeners, they have to understand that, you know, the, the LOI is not a one and done document. It's not a document that they send to you and that you have to, you know, agree upon. You know, you have the right and you actually um, should demand the right to, to, make changes to that LOI. And quite candidly, if there are things that happen or change in your business that are to the positive, that are creating more value as you're going through this, you know, letter of intent process, then yes, you know, that's technically what we call a retrade, but you know, you should do that because you should get the value in the terms before you sign that document. And so it sounds like you did that. So that's great. Looking back on that process, is there anything that you would have done differently now knowing and going through kind of not necessarily all of it, we're going to get to the due diligence and then the sale process, but just leading up to the LOI, knowing what you know now, um, if you have and when you have your next successful company, what would you do differently? Oh, a lot. <laughs> uh, but, but before we go there, I'm just going to uh, say something to the listeners because that was an advice that I got that's super important. Someone told me, whatever you take home, you need to be happy with. Never leave on that what if scenario. What if, if I had stayed longer? What if, if I had waited more? you have to be happy with the price of the LOI. And if you have an earn out, consider that you're not going to get the earn out and you still have to be happy with the first piece. The second gotcha. question you asked is, I would have engaged, number one, I would have got prepared to sell first mm -hmm. so I could really get, put a really solid package together and Private equity firms hate when you have a banker, hate when you have advisors, hate when you hire the top attorney because they know that then, you know, you're surrounded with experts that will protect your assets. And I didn't, but uh, at the end of the day, I learned a lot and, um, and I would definitely have engaged. The, the, I tell the, all my entrepreneurial friends, don't try to be stingy with any of the legal or any of the professionals that are going to walk away, walk throughout the process with you, because that's money well paid. They're going to save you a lot yeah. of losses. <laughs> yeah, you, you can say that again if you want. I mean, you know, it's interesting. You know, a lot of a lot of our listeners may have that thought process around wanting to do it themselves. And look, there may be some people that actually feel that they, you know, that that's something they want to do, and that's great. But I I, I really respect what you said, which is, 
you know, what you take home is important and you have to be happy with that. You know, the ability to, re, you know, kind of to, to renegotiate uh, a LOI four times, I don't think a lot of people have, you know, the ability and or, you know, kind of the intestinal fortitude to do that. I think it says a lot about you as a person and who you are. But I think also what people fail to realize is that it, that wasn't difficult. And by the way, you were doing all of this while you were running your company, correct? And how, how was that? Like running your company, making sure that it was growing, but then also going through this process as well. You don't sleep. <laughs> you don't have a life. And I served as a CFO of my company for seven years too. So I basically was even keeping the books for a long time. And, uh, wow. and that is really what gave me a really clear clarity of where we are. And that's, if I haven't done that, I would never have taken as much as responsibility through the due diligence or negotiation process as I did, because I knew the company inside out on the number side, because I was the one that controlled everything. So that gave me a great advantage, but at the same time, it was really a hard time to go through yeah, it. I'm sure. Yeah, it, you know, it's interesting, you know, so now that's not even the hardest part. Let's let's transition to the, the due diligence and then, you know, let's talk about, you know, post-transaction. So, you know, you, you're, you, you go through this process, you renegotiate four times, they say yes, we'll, we'll say yes, sign it, you know, sign the LOI, and then the due diligence process starts. Tell, me, tell our listeners a little bit about that process. I made a very important decision to tell my team from day one, what I was doing, because I was selling the company, majority interest of the company, not for me, but for them. Because I knew that by doing that would create more opportunities for them to get promoted, to get you know career paths. So I sat down in our conference room and, and grabbed my leadership team, which was about 12 people at that point, And I said, you have seen a lot of people in and out of this office in the last three months. I had been interviewing private equity firms and back then private and still private equity firms is a really bad term in our industry because one of our biggest competitor uh, merged and that in, got backed by a private equity and created a really bad reputation with our families and, and patients. So everybody was super skeptical even to use their name around. So I, I told them I'm doing this for you. So once you do that, you really have to take a deep breath and just to see and feel the, temp, the, the, the temperature of the people because a lot of them are even worried about their jobs. And, um, right. and then, but you also need them for the due diligence. You need their, their commitment and loyalty, uh, loyalty to go through the process with you and provide all the support documentation that they will request. So uh, we got a list of about, I would say 500 items to be delivered. <laughs> I got the I'm, I'm sorry for my listeners can't, my listeners can't see me, but I, you know, we're, we're doing this via Zoom. So I, I, I can see Gracie and, and I can see her facial expressions and her facial expressions right around that 500 list um, was, was, <laughs> it's pretty uh, extensive, correct? Right. <laughs> And I was so uh, naive that uh, some of those things I didn't even know I made, what meant. I had to really Google. And, uh, and I asked, so how long do I have to provide this? 
oh, you can go through tab one, two, and three in the next. What do you think that's going to take you? And say, well, once I understand what you're asking, probably two weeks. And he was right. like, oh, two weeks? Great, you have two weeks. <laughs> and I was like, great. <laughs> so yeah, it was a really long, probably month. And it was not two weeks, that's for sure, because I had to generate a lot of those materials from contracting to all the claims from insurances. Oh, oh my goodness. Yes, it was, um, it was people underestimate today and overestimate tomorrow. And that is so true. And uh, lesson learned, do not do that by yourself. What you're saving you money for not utilizing someone to help you, you're gonna pay with your health. So don't yeah. do that to you. <laughs> you need to be healthy yeah. and, and, and strong to continue to lead your company. Remember, when you're, when you're going through the diligence, they are also measuring the performance that you currently have. And that can also depreciate your enterprise value because your sales can go down because of this, how distractive you got, you got from it. Yeah, that's a great point. So, I mean, the thing you're saying is, you know, that, they're going through and, and doing the due diligence process, but they're also in this due diligence process looking at forecasting kind of performance of the company. And so if you're on some type of performance earnout, that's going to impact you as well. So, you know, the fact of having these advisors come in and help you with this process is very, very helpful. The way that I share it is it's a, it's, it's a, you know, return on investment. So, uh, in some cases, it might be 20, 30, 100, depending on the size of the company and, and all of the uh, interest of the advisors that you're working on. Uh, it could be a few hundred thousand dollars in fees. But, you know, if somebody were to say that that 300,000 or quarter million dollars in fees would get you a turn in, in multiple value at close, you know, that's a pretty good return on investment. And uh, it sounds like that's something that you probably would have done a bit differently um, on the next on the next go round if there is one. Right. Absolutely. And will be. <laughs> I'm sure there is. I'm sure there will be. And so, you know, you, you go through this due diligence process. How was that? And, and how, you know, when did you finalize all of the due diligence and when did, um, you know, council capital say, okay, we're good. We're ready to close. We've closed in November uh, 13th, 2018, which was probably three and a half months after we started the diligence. And wow, that's uh, great. yeah, and uh, it was is we had ups and down because that's a, that's one thing that I think listeners will we will understand also. There were some outstanding claims for liability. I'm in healthcare, so we had some outstanding uh, putting your your carrier on notice versus having a physical mm -hmm. a, a real claim. So I had to get a tail insurance for our liability so I could protect myself as an individual uh, before the, 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 the sale happened. So that delayed a little bit our process. The funding was not a problem. And uh, it was really going through that together and even trying to, to, to talk about how we're going to operate from here. Uh, how, you know, what's the leadership is going to look like? What's the new structure? I always wanted to be the platform company versus a tuck-in because I wanted right. to protect that culture and that infrastructure that I have built with so much heart and, and, and love. 
And so you know, many of the companies that I interviewed, I was going to be considered a tuck in versus just, you know, a stand alone company and everything would be built upon ACP. So um, that was another lesson learned as, as, as I went through the process of investigating who I would partner with. That's a great point. You know what, Gracie, I think, you know, and, and one, I hope our listeners don't miss. I mean, so you wanted to, you know, protect the culture, you know, you sold and recapitalized a part of your business for your employees so they could have upward mobility, so they could have an opportunity to grow. But I think the thing that you, you said, you said that at the beginning, um, towards the beginning of the second part of our, of our episode here, but the other thing that you said that backed it up was I wanted it to be a platform company. I wanted to be the company that they tucked in or added on other companies too, because I wanted to preserve that culture that we've built. And I think that's, you know, it's not only just what you say, it's how you go about executing that. And it sounds like, you know, your employees are very, very lucky for that. So you were able to close, um, you, you got through due diligence, no real issues. You were able to close in November. So now you're there for a couple of years, um, you know, as a part of the terms, and we don't have to get into the, the terms, obviously, but talk about what's that, what it's like that day after, right? So you sign, you know, your purchase sell agreement, and you've recapitalized, and what does that feel like the next day? I went through, I, I went to therapy because of that. So I, so, yeah. you know. Because I yeah. thought when the money hit the bank, I would be a completely different person. My drive would be completely different. And I would basically smell the roses and be like, oh, I made it. And guess what? Right. I woke up and I went to work with even a harder desire to do more and more. And what I have learned is as long as you're measuring your success based on the future versus what you have achieved, am I better than yesterday? Am I bigger than yesterday? Am I more, you know, more impactful than yesterday? You're never gonna be fulfilled. So I lived my life a long time looking to the future and, and seeing how closer I am from the goal that I did versus realizing you know, the success that I had done. Um, so it was a very, very uh, emotional, emotional time for me. Uh, my mom and dad actually came to Atlanta to, um, to go through the due diligence process in the last week or two, because they knew that I, I was about to just to, you know, to, to lose it because we, we, we failed closing, uh, you know, for almost three weeks. We always oh, going to close tomorrow. It's going to go and didn't because of something happened. And it was super stressful. And, and one lesson learned again for, for the listeners, do not let the fight uh, warn you out because many of the entrepreneurs that are going through the sale, they get so burned out at the end that sometimes the private equity can take advantage of that and just say, and the, the, the entrepreneurs just say, you know what, I'm just so tired, just I'll, I'll give up. So save. Yeah. Your, your, your energy to the last <laughs> period because <laughs> you may need it. <laughs> but uh, yeah. 
<laughs> I woke up and uh, the first call I had the next day, everything was done electronically, by the way, which was very disappointing. I, I thought I was going to have a ceremony or something that we're going to sign documents together and didn't happen. And that was not even COVID yeah. to, to give an excuse. <laughs> <laughs> Where's my cake? Where's my champagne? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Where did I ring yeah. the bell? <laughs> yeah, something. I, yeah, how are we going to commemorate this? I'll commemorate this for sure. But I had a phone call with Grant the next day, and uh, very surprisingly, um, he comes to me and say, Gracie, I have three idea, three people that I would like to introduce you to that I think is going to be, a, they, they can be a great option for your chairman. So I want mm. you to interview them, uh, fly them to Atlanta, and see which one you like the best, because you're going to be the person interacting and collaborating with this this gentleman or or, or lady the, the most so you need to like it and um yeah. so i think that's yeah. that's a lot also on the private equity that i chose there are a lot of private equities that just determine who is going to be versus giving you the, right. the choice to collaborate so i was very grateful that we we we, we were you know aligned on where we wanted and, and, and then I started working with him. We, we went directly into a strategy session. Another thing that listeners should, should take in consideration, when you're partnering with a private equity, it is extremely important that you plan the future together. Not that they tell you what to do or you have a plan that now has to be executed. You both have to come together in alignment session we created what we call HDD, the high definition destination, which is a process from Afterburner. And that we created what the company is going to look like in the next three years. And guess what? Everyone has its own name on the buckets that they are responsible for. So it's just not me anymore. It's them as well, because there are pieces that they have to contribute in order for me to be successful. So it creates that sense of accountability and partnership that otherwise you will never have if you don't take the time to do that. That is great advice. And I think a lot of times when you know business owners or CEO founders do recapitalize, I don't think they realize that your job is to push your partner just as much as they're pushing you, especially if there's an earnout, because your success and your ability to be successful is going to be contingent upon what they say they're going to deliver during that sale process, right? So now we're t we stepped over that process and now we're into earnout phase. And now you're looking at a situation where they have to perform and they have to step up and it has to be, you know, it has to be a process. It has to be something that you can execute and also ultimately something that you, you know, you can look to see how people are performing, right? Um, some type of performance mechanism. So that's great. We have a couple of minutes left, and I and, and I think so. So what you shared with us, Gracie, is amazing. I think that from the start of where you started this business to kind of how you took it upon yourself to be able to work through this process on the transaction and to get through an earnout with a company and really secure this in a way that you know protected your employees. I think it speaks to who you are as a CEO and founder. And I think the reason why Ernest Young and, and uh, Inc. 5000 think so highly of you, let's talk a little bit about your journey now as a person, as an individual. What are you doing now? You know, I, I saw that, you know, you're, you're a board of directors and I feel like your passion is helping other CEO founders, but what are you doing now and 
how are you engaging every day? What's giving you that that uh, that fuel? So, so I, I I stayed on for two and a half years by choice. I did not have an agreement, but you know, one thing you learn through this this process of scaling the company is you have to stay ahead of the game as a leader, and you have to continue to develop yourself and grow more rapidly than the company. Otherwise, the company is gonna catch up to you, and you're gonna become irrelevant. So, which I right. did, and uh, there is a phase, and there is a, a era for every CEO, and I was a CEO of many phases, of many chapters. So now that I looked back and I said, "Wow, what have I learned? What is my really my my biggest asset in growing a company and even doing the due diligence process?" Now I have the understanding of what is to take a company through due diligence when I am on a buyer side because I'm the head of M&A for, for ACP still. So now what I'm doing is not just helping uh, ACP to execute the M&A strategy, but I'm also an investors of startup companies to help those young and, and, and less experienced entrepreneurs to scale their companies as well as on the board of for-profit companies that would benefit from the type of skills that I bring to the table. I'm very, uh, um, not just straightforward, but from HR all the way to M&A, to culture, to company, to, I have done, and I love every single piece, every single segment of the business, and everyone has its own story to tell and how we can do better and continue to improve. That I think is a is a great place to to end today's conversation. I mean, I think for for what you've shared with our listeners, I hope that they listen to this episode and a few times because I think there's some really good key points. Um, it's one thing when you hear it from someone like myself, who's an advisor that's been working with CEO founders for twenty some odd years, but when you hear it from a founder and they share their views around some of the things that you want to take note of, very special and we're very gracious that you're willing to spend spend time with us and share those those insights. So we're going to ask you the exit podcast question, which is if there was one thing that you would want our listeners to take from this episode today, uh, what would that be? Get help early. I would definitely have gotten uh, help to get prepared for the sale early on. Um, I know that that was my baby and still my baby. And uh, if I want to give the best evaluation for the for the company is worth it the time and investment to get prepared and it's going to save you a lot of headaches as well and take care of your people make sure that they really understand that you're doing this not just for you but for them because that's what life is about is about being a leader that can add value to others and you want them to grow with the company and you want the best interest of them as well oh that's amazing thank you you know thank you for that gracie and i guess for our listeners that want to get a hold of you They've listened to the episode and they, they would love a little bit more insight and or advice or maybe even the opportunity to work with you. How do they get how do they get in contact with you? Yes, I'd love to even just to have a chat and just see where they are. I am also looking for other board opportunities that I can add value to high growth companies and entrepreneurial companies. But they can definitely uh, uh, go to my website at graciemurphy.com. And Gracie is spelled G-R-E-I-C-E, a little bit uh, different, but it's graciemurphy.com and uh, they can just uh, click contact me there. 
Yeah, I, I, I kind of butchered your name here at the beginning when we first met, but <laughs> it got <laughs> us straightened out today. <laughs> well, Gracie, um, again, we want to thank you uh, on behalf of all of our listeners. Great insights today, and we really appreciate your time. Thanks again for joining us. Uh, that'll do it for this episode of The Exit. Until next time, always keep the exit in mind. Have a great day, everyone. You've been listening to The Exit. Start your preparedness journey today by clicking on the link in the episode website of this podcast to take a quick business checkup and receive your free copy of the six questions to ask yourself before selling. If you have any questions about this podcast or how we can specifically help you, contact us at info at tepodcast.com. Take the first step to exiting on your terms. And remember, always be prepared for the exit.